Hello and welcome back to Millennial Lag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valine Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, welcome back to this week's episode. We're um, headed into the first week of October, uh, and it's kind of crazy. Elections are within a month, uh, and mud is being flung. Trump's got COVID, or got COVID, recovered from COVID. I don't even know where that that's at. <laughs> and and politics are a really tough topic. Um, and Millennial Ag wants to just kind of get a, a general perspective of of where we're at in agriculture, kind of how we're represented. And and we'll dive into probably Colorado a little bit as well, since that's that's where we're at right now. Um, we have a special guest with, with us this week, and I'll let Catherine introduce him. Yeah, we're excited to have uh, Mr. Brett Moore on this week. He's a political consultant here in Colorado and has more than a decade of experience um, in Colorado issues and, you know, is, is much more, works much more closely in that kind of a world than, than Val and I have access to. So he's here to join us today. We're going to talk about, um, you know, how, how the electoral college works um, and, you know, some questions surrounding it and agriculture as well. So without further ado, Brett, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and welcome to Millennial Ag. Well, thanks Catherine and Val for having me this evening. Um, my name is Brett Moore, and I have a company in, based in Denver, Colorado, called On the Ballot Consulting. Um, I moved to the state in 2008, um, and since then have uh, been active at the Colorado State Legislature doing lobbying, and I also run a political consulting practice um, outside, of the, outside of the Gold Dome. Um, and for the purposes of uh, this podcast, I am uh, turning 40 this this uh, December. So I'm, uh, I think, just on the, being born in 1980, just on the, the cusp of being a millennial. Um, and uh, also, uh, I actually was, uh, 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 grew up in western Kansas on the Kansas-Nebraska line on a uh, production ag operation, uh, corn, cattle, and wheat. Uh, alfalfa and uh, you know basically uh, grew up in the ag world and 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 to this day represent uh, uh, several ag clients um, across the state of Colorado. Um, the ag is a little more um, diverse in uh, Colorado uh, than it is in western Kansas but uh, a lot of the same uh, a lot of the same principles apply so proud to uh, proud to have that background and uh, just really excited to uh, be with you two today and, and hope we can we can have a great discussion. Well, thank you. We're, we're excited to have you here. And, um, you know, you're even if you're just on the cusp of being a millennial, your ag background more than makes up for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just let's start with the very basic question, because it seems like this comes up every four years and then we all forget it in between times. Um, talk to us about how the Electoral College does work. Give us, give us just a brief overview. Sure. So, um, you know, this uh, gave me uh, the opportunity to pull out my uh, copy of the Pocket Constitution here. All right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. Um, so therein you have, um, you know, 
where we get the number of electors. So basically it's based on the number of uh, congressional seats that each state has plus two um, for your two U.S. senators. Um, so just uh, for example, um, California has 55, so 53 uh, congressmen plus two states, uh, two U.S. senators um, down to um, Colorado has seven congressional delegates. So our total electoral vote number is nine. Um, just a few ag states close to us here. Kansas has four congressional members, so six electoral votes. Nebraska has uh, uh, three, so five total electoral votes. And uh, then you have a whole uh, bevy of states that actually only have one electoral vote. Um, most notably, I suppose, for, for ag listeners, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming are all kind of single uh, electoral vote states. So uh, those, um, if you add all those numbers up from the largest to the smallest, it's 538 total electors. And uh, you have to get a, a uh, clean majority of those, 270, to be elected president. So that's kind of as we move forward over the next month or so and CNN and Fox News and all the news channels will have their neat maps up with the number of electoral votes. That's kind of how that breakout uh, uh, goes and, and how they're working to get to that number. So for states like Colorado or California even, where we have multiple electoral votes, do they all have to vote one certain way or can like four vote for Trump and three vote for Biden in this case? Or how does that work? for a state that can be split? Yep, um, nope, in fact, it's actually um, uh, law that those electors all vote the same way based on how the, the, the state voted. So um, there have been some court cases around faithless electors, that is folks, electors that are put in that position and then don't, um, don't stick to that rule and there's actually um, legal consequences for for those actions. So yeah, it's a um, winner take all. And, and it's up to the state legislature. Um, the state legislature, to my knowledge, can pass a law that says, you know, uh, you know, any scenario that you can think of um, to elect their, their uh, presidential nominee. But uh, uh, as of right now, uh, 48 of the states do it winner take all for their electoral votes, as I laid out before, um, with the state house and the state or U.S. house and U.S. senators. And um, actually, Nebraska and Maine are the only two kind of variations on that that uh, theme where they can split votes. Um, there are two uh, U.S. Senate votes go to the winner of the popular vote in those states, um, but they actually divide them up by their congressional districts. Um, so. Uh, the third congressional district in western Nebraska can vote a little differently from the second and the first um, that are in the eastern parts of the state. Uh, same with Maine. Their two votes can be split as well. But other than that, you know, on election night, you'll see states go whole cloth except for the, you know, you can have a, a little bit of variation with those two states. But generally speaking, that's that holds true. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that about being able to those two states being able to split it. That's, look, you learn something new every day. <laughs> so given that um, obviously larger population states like California have um, more electoral votes, you know, this, this is 
a question I think that a lot of us have in agriculture. Um, can you can you can we say that the electoral college negatively impacts ag, or has you know has some sort of a, you know there is some sort of an impact, um, in terms of of feeling like our votes count. So I would actually uh, argue the opposite, and I think you'll hear um, folks uh, as this subject comes up um, argue that way. Um, that the Electoral College actually benefits the smaller states. Um, uh, there's some good statistics out here and hopefully we can pull them up as we're um, working uh, here this evening. But uh, wanted to, uh, you know, you look at a state like Wyoming um, that only has, uh, you know, three electoral votes um, versus California that has 55. The, the, the one electoral vote in Wyoming represents far fewer people than, than the vote in California per se. So actually, um, and this is how it was designed by the founders in the constitution is that, uh, you know, it's a mix of population um, versus, versus state. So every state gets that baseline of two, and then you get your additional electoral votes based on population uh, as you go up the chain. So, you know, one could argue that, um, you know, your Wyoming's, your Montana's, your Dakota's, um, even your Nebraska's and Kansas's, uh, and Iowa is also a, a six electoral state uh, vote, you know, so some of your most highly concentrated ag states are going to be, um, you know, kind of have an outside voice, at least per citizen um, for, for their state. Now, even in uh, very rural states like Nebraska and Kansas, where the vast majority of the, um, you know, the state is is in ag and has, you know, family farms and ranches all across it, that, that's still going to get the population still getting dwarfed by, uh, you know, Wichita, Topeka, uh, Omaha, Lincoln, um, you know, so, um, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it cuts both ways a little bit uh, in that regard, but uh, um I, I, I would argue that electoral votes are actually help rural areas as long as we're uh, reaching out to our uh, city mice cousins um, to let them know what's important to, uh, to the folks out in the, the rest of the state. So like in Colorado, you know, the majority of the population lives right here in the front range, which is like maybe 10% of the land mass. And you probably have numbers for that too, but Agriculture seems to, you know, we're drying up water, ag, ag's kind of leaving some of those rural areas. Do you see in a state like Colorado that ag's voice, though, is getting squished a little bit or not heard? Or are we just perceiving it that way and kind of playing victim to our, our city cousins? No, um, I, think, I think it's definitely a, uh, a concern um, you know, the, the, the ag and rural vote has always been dwarfed by our city cousins and it's further exacerbated in a place like Colorado where you've seen such a dramatic population incline over the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Um, you, know, uh, you know, quite frankly, the state that I moved here to in 2008 and maybe the state that uh, the two of you grew up in, um, you know, it's, 
it's not really that place anymore. Um, we're in, you know, some of our rural areas, certainly um, maybe life hasn't changed that much. The, uh, the population growth here in Denver and uh, uh, along the front range has really impacted, um, you know, our, our congressional and uh, legislative districts, that there's less representation in the rural areas and more concentrated here in Denver. Um, in the front range. And as those, those, vo those uh, seats get concentrated to the areas with more population, there's less voices and less advocates in rural uh, Colorado. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a concern. And, uh, you know, water specifically, uh, you got to give, uh, you got to give credit to some uh, folks, uh, you know, years back that started talking about the Colorado water plan as a way to, um, you know, to, uh, start thinking about our water needs in the future and how we can um, try to try to not um, take all that water away from ag interests and have that, you know, have that burden be shared by, um, you know, more efficiency in the cities and, and uh, you know, creating some alternative methods uh, to the, you know, the buy and dry and some of the, the things that we've heard are just so devastating for um, some rural Colorado communities. So what's, I guess, what, how can we, how can, how can agriculture fight, fight this fight or continue to be a part of some of this conversation? Because I, I grew up in Idaho, I'm moving back to Idaho, and Idaho, for the most part, still has agricultural seats um, throughout the entire state. But the Boise area is starting to get populated, the Twin Falls area is growing, um, and we see this in a few of the other western states. But how do we, how can we use Colorado maybe as an example, but for other states and other communities to continue to hold a voice at, at our state house and then at the national level too, especially with turnover and, um, you know, presidents or that sort of thing. How can ag continue to show up and continue to have a voice if, as we feel like we're getting squished out by the populace? Well, I, I think it's really important to um, continue to articulate as uh, uh, ag and rural interests do, you know, the importance of, of the day-to-day -day work that farmers do. And that's really raising the, the food and fiber that, um, you know, all of us depend on, regardless of where you live. And in fact, you know, folks around the world depend on American farmers to provide their, um, their uh, necessary uh foodstuffs and, and other um, materials. Um, so, you know, continuing to, to make that case to folks in the city, um, you know, and really one of the things you hear about all the time is that we're getting uh, less and less people that are exposed to ag at a younger age. You know, several generations back, everybody had a set of cousins or grandparents or somebody that lived on the farm. And uh, frankly, it's, it's just uh, becoming less and less that way as uh, the, the, uh, the metropolitan populations outpace the ag populations. And, and in some cases, I think we're seeing some of these rural areas become increasingly insular because they're, um, you know, they're, they're very uh, happy with their way of life um, and not, not interested in, in what's going on here. Uh, in Denver or Boise or, you know, other, um, other kind of up and coming uh, cities and formula, formerly uh, uh, rural uh, type states. 
Um, so, you know, I think just continuing to advocate on, on behalf of, of the work that's done every day. And then I think you're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of focus put on some sort of like farm to table activities. So people actually get a sense of, you know, grocery store doesn't come from, or groceries don't come from uh, the grocery store. They don't, uh, they don't uh, just uh, pop up in the back of the King supers there, you know, that there's an entire supply chain involved. Um, you know, particularly in Colorado, it's really uh, great because you have, um, you know, you have the, uh, cantaloupes in southeast Colorado and the peaches and the uh, sweet corn in western Colorado and you know traditional foodstuffs and dairy and just uh, a wide variety of, of uh, ag so you really can make that case that you know your your food a lot of the food that you're consuming as a Coloradan is being grown somewhere within you know a six seven hour uh, drive and showing folks that may not um, live in rural Colorado or rural America um, that, that process and letting them know, you know, where their food comes from and showing them how that works and having them take, take some pride or, you know, take a moment to think about where that food comes, I think is an important, uh, important factor because as you say, I mean, our, the voting block, um, just isn't there to, uh, uh, you know, overturn the, the, the urban areas kind of whims when it comes to that. So it's, it's really a, an education thing um, more than a political force issue for sure. So I, I think you just made the case very well that agriculture is, is indeed under, underrepresented on Capitol Hill um, <clears throat> and in policymaking decisions. And, you know, you, you laid out how we, you know, we sort of need to be better friends with our country cousins um, and help them explain, or, you know, you said, help them understand what we do and why we exist. But um, how, how can agriculture do better besides, um, besides just, you know, trying to connect with consumers? How can we do better, um, you know, in making sure that we are represented and making sure that our voices are heard? Is that, you know, does there need to be a push in agriculture, rural America for, for people to run for, for elected offices and that sort of thing? Or what, where, how can we improve upon this? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think you, you ask, you know, kind of the million dollar question here. <laughs> um, it's uh, um, some, some really tough, tough uh, territory to tread into. Um, you know, I'll take uh, an opportunity to um, stump for current uh, U.S. Senator Cory Gardner uh, from Ray, Colorado. He's a, you know, rural guy, grew up, his family ran a uh, implement dealership. So, um, you know, intimately uh, um, familiar with, with rural life and rural America. So, you know, we're certainly hopeful that we can keep him uh, in, in the U.S. Senate. And, uh, you know, I think somebody like that, you know, speaking from personal experience, you know, I, I've spent the last 15 or 20 years, you know, trying to learn how to be a city person, but, you know, city people never have the opportunity to grow up on a farm and have the experience that, that I had growing up. Um, you know, with kind of the, the, the work ethic that's ingrained there and the appreciation for, um, you know, the land and, and uh, family and, and, and all that comes with that. So, um, you know, it's uh, uh, certainly a, a tough question. 
(laughs) (laughs) It is. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons that we try to have a a very diverse group of guests to have on Millennial Lag so that we can hear ideas from all over the place and hopefully come up with, you know, a few that that we can really take hold of and run. Um, But, you know, we we certainly appreciate that perspective. I like what you said about trying to learn to be a city person. It's (laughs) it's uh, it's not an easy thing to do. I've never lived in a metropolitan area, but certainly more suburban areas than where I grew up. And um, it's not something that comes very easily if you grew up at the end of a dirt road, for sure. (laughs) Traffic and neighbors upstairs, you know, stomping around or making noise or definitely something you kind of have to adjust to. But people don't understand adjusting to living next to a feedlot or a dairy or, you know, truck traffic and being behind tractors. And, you know, even I think local policy has a huge play on, and maybe almost more on some of our um, agricultural friends and agricultural listeners than some of the national policy. Is that true? Or should we be more concerned on the national policy? You know, um, as far as that goes, there's there's uh, purviews at every level of government. So um, I've become more intimately familiar with that uh, by representing the Colorado Association of Conservation Districts. State of Colorado, you've got 64 counties, but there's actually um, 76 conservation districts. Um, so more more of those than there are counties, and these are uh, local divisions of state government um, that are locally elected um, for uh, local landowners to help uh, provide um, private uh, conservation uh, efforts or efforts uh, for the for this local conservation district to provide um, support to private conservation districts on uh, on private lands. So. Um, so that's that's an example of, of local government and some of the things that can be done there and and they uh, the conservation districts work with NRCS at the federal level as well as uh, CDA the Colorado Department of Agriculture and the Colorado State Conservation Board. So you've really got you know most farmers are, are working with local, state, and federal governments um, on a daily basis, you know, or certainly on a, on an annual or seasonal basis to kind of execute all the different things. And each of these, these levels of government kind of have their own um, purview. Obviously you're getting a a lot of your, your farm supports um, from the federal level. Um, The uh, uh, at the state level, you're seeing some of your um, regulations around uh, um, say pesticide application and uh, you know some licensing and, and other kind of local enforcement stuff that the feds or the locals don't do so I mean it's really you can't uh, can't ignore one for the other they've all kind of they kind of all fill their own role and and uh, you know they're they're all important in their own way. So as listeners head to go vote in less than a month you know, a lot of times we look at these big issues and where people stand on issues, um, you know, specifically like WOTUS or immigration. Is that, is that sound practices for voting or how would you recommend if I don't know, for example, my county commissioners or the state um, representatives on the ballot, how would you recommend that I reason through the candidates I'm voting for in this election? 
Yeah, it's tough. And, uh, you know, you saw um, President Trump in 2016 get an overwhelming uh, amount of uh, rural America to vote in his favor, um, despite some maybe some trade and tariff policies that maybe um, on their face or in the immediate future were, were uh, detrimental to the, the commodity markets. But, um, you know, then you look across some of the other issues, um, like you say, um, Waters of the U.S. was certainly a program that was being pushed very hard by the previous administration that, um, you know, at least from the ag interests that I represent and am aware of were very much opposed to, um, you know, turning a, a ditch into, you know, that occasionally has water in it every couple of years into a, a navigable stream uh, regulated by the U.S. Coast Guard. So, um, you know, I think at, at the, uh, the end of the day, uh, ag folks really have to take a look at the, the candidates and, and look at their, you know, their entire record. Um, you know, there's no, uh, no place where you can just pick out a few things and, and uh, um, unless you're a single issue voter, you know, a lot of people uh, vote, you know, a lot of people are very educated and look at all the issues. Some people hear, um, you know, one issue and that's, that's what they need to know. So um, pretty hard to put uh pretty hard to put folks in a box that way, but, you know, certainly as always, it's, it makes a lot of, you know, the best advice that, that I can give is to do your research, look up these candidates, look at their voting record, look at where they come from and, and uh, you know, um, past uh, performance is an indicator of, of uh, uh, future results. So, you know, you got to take a look at these folks, where they come from, what they're supporting, who's supporting them and, and try to make uh, the best decision to pick somebody that's going to represent your interests. Thank you for that encouragement, Brett. And, and we'd just like to echo it from millennial ag listeners. We don't, you know, we don't really care how you vote, but we do care that you vote. Um, it's always important. It's a constitutional right and duty that we have in this country. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of early voting systems are in place right now. You could vote before uh, November 3rd, but one way or the other, if you're able to, please go vote. Um, Brett, before, <coughs> excuse me, before we wrap up, we have, I think, what's one more um, million dollar question. We're interested to hear what you have to say. Um, given that there are some 2 million people directly involved in production agriculture, um, that's our population of, of producers in the United States, if, if every single one of them were able to vote, um, could that sway an election one way or the other? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, sorry to be cliche, but you know, every vote really does count. Um, particularly when you come down to, um, you know, um, the, say the 2016 election where the popular vote didn't reflect the, um, the electoral college vote. And some of those, um, some of those states, um, in the swing category were, you know, uh, very tightly contested down to, you know, tens of thousands of votes. So, um, absolutely that population makes a difference. It's important that they go to the polls. It's important that, um, you know, that they vote and that they're registered to vote and that they, um, get, get out there. Um, you know, in Colorado, we've made it very easy, um, you know, because every registered voter is going to receive, or certainly every active voter that's been participating in the electoral system over the last couple of years is going to get a ballot in their mailbox. Um, for any of your listeners that maybe even, I uh, can't remember 
if they've moved or if they change their address, you can go to www.govotecolorado.com, all one word, um, and check your voter registration. It's something run by the Colorado Secretary of State site, and it's a very easy way for you to check and make sure that your um, your ballot is coming to your address. And again, you know, every active voter in the state, um, you know, hopefully every every farm, ranch, every uh, 18 and over eligible voter uh, is is registered and they can, like I said, you can register at Go Vote Colorado, www.govotecolorado.com or you can check your current registration, update your address, et cetera, et cetera, update your party affiliation, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in, in Colorado, we've, we've made it really easy for, for uh, you know, you don't have to uh, jump off the tractor and run into town on election day. Although I know, you know, at least in, in the, community of a thousand people that I grew up in, you know, it was a point of pride to get into town and make sure your vote was counted. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, we, we made it easy in Colorado and actually ballots drop uh, this Friday. So today's uh, just in a couple days from now. So um, the other thing I'll add, um, kind of interesting, you know, that the ag production in the country um, by dollars uh, is number one, California, you know, uh, pretty, pretty strong blue state, Iowa, uh, which I'd call purple at this point, Nebraska red, Texas red, Minnesota blue, Illinois blue, Kansas red, Wisconsin is blue, North Carolina is red, and Indiana red. So, um, you know, we've got four blue states, a purple state, and five red states in your top 10 in dollars produced in ag. So, I mean, it's really, um, you know, there's uh, there's farmers and ranchers all across the country and their states are, are voting all across the board. So I'd say, you know, um, absolutely keep, uh, keep, keep voting and, and uh, you know, make sure your friends and family and kids and folks that are 18 and older are registered and, and getting those ballots uh, turned in. Well, thanks, Brett, for those statistics, too, because it, it shows that, you know, ag dollars are huge in this country. And, you know, maybe people aren't farmers and ranchers and have boots on the ground um, tilling the soil or moving cows or raising livestock, but they're related to ag in some way. So continuing to have those dialogues with with the processors, with people that pick up your produce, with, with those people, they have a vote, too. And and it seems like ag, ag states, big ag states are relatively purple if you um, even them all out. So I, I think that that reiterates, you know, the importance to talk to people, to, to engage in conversation, engage in, in politics to some level so that you're, you know what you're voting for, you know how it impacts the industries you care about and the platforms you are. So. Brett, we again, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, and if you want our listeners to be able to find you, where can they find you? Yeah, um, I just really appreciate the opportunity to, to uh, come on. And, and uh, you know, again, some of these, uh, some of these questions are, are ones that are uh, have been being asked long before we were here and, and will probably continue to long after we're gone. But uh you know, I think the most important part is for people just to stay active and informed. And, um, you know, politics is a, is a, 
contact sport and you've got to be got to be engaged got to be informed and and got to got to get out there and let your voice be heard because there's other folks that maybe don't share your perspective um whether that's in town or up the road that uh you know you've got to got to be able to make your voice heard as well um and uh um you can find my company um at www.ontheballot.co um i'm also on facebook and twitter and all the uh all the social media channels that everybody uses so um happy to happy to be on today and really appreciate the opportunity thanks again brett and listeners we'll make sure to put all his uh links into our show notes when this airs as well and you can also if you have any other questions email us at talk to us at millennialag.com we're also on facebook twitter and instagram until next week we're millennial lag